College is a place for change and growth, and I know I've experienced a lot of growth during my time here at IWU. My worldview has always been Christianity, but the way I see myself fitting into that worldview has evolved. I used to identify as a Christian, but IWU has helped me realize that my worldview doesn't fit in a nice box. Welcome back to Encounters. I'm Wa Chuk. And I am Haley Stevens, and we are your hosts for IWU's Encounters podcast this year. We are so excited to dive deeper into various topics and have meaningful conversations. This month, we are going to explore how college campuses impact one's faith-slash-spiritual journey. So Haley, I know you identify as a Christian. Could you talk a little bit more about your beliefs and how IWU has impacted um, your faith? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I've always been a Christian, and I was raised in a pretty relaxed Christian community. I feel like I have always believed in the power of doing the right thing and helping others, and that's always been my belief. But I've never really questioned any of the belief system until I came to IWU, and that has like really helped me not only become more of a leader within my own faith, but also just figure out what do I actually believe about my worldview and what am I allowed to reject from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what made you change or like question your belief? I think it honestly, it was coming to the interfaith meetings every week and hearing all of the different worldviews that existed because <laughs> before then I didn't have a lot of experience with that. And I didn't know that you were really allowed to change your beliefs and like look into different things within your own worldview. So once I started coming to those meetings, I really started questioning like how I believed and how I wanted to start believing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shameless plug right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. <laughs> um, well, I was, so I guess what is something that has changed about your belief ever since um, I woo? Um, I think I have just started believing a lot less rigidly I know that believing everything that's written exactly in the bible like how it's written is fine and it's a valid way to look into it but I have never really thought that that was the right way to go into it I think there's a lot of different ways that you can interpret what the bible says and I have definitely come into my own a little bit more on interpreting those things the way that I believe they should be interpreted and also just in the belief that if you're going to believe in a God, it should be a God that's forgiving and that accepts everybody and not just the people that you want to accept. Mm. Yeah, I hear you on that. All right. Well, enough about me. I know that you have identified as a Christian in the past, but that that's changed since coming to Wesleyan. So do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I guess saying I ent- identify as a Christian is probably like the easiest way to answer that question. Um, I feel like my faith journey has always been up and down or um, I've always been in and out. Um, and so when I was in high school, um, sophomore year is when I really got into Christianity um, because of a close friend. And um, he really just brought me in and, I really love the concept of um, unconditional love and forgiveness. Um, I think those are parts of my core values that's always been in there. Um, so it's it's kind of nice when um, your own values, you see that in something else, it's really easy to believe 
um, in that particular like religion or philosophy or whatever it is. Um, and so for me, that's kind of what happened. But, and then I came here to Wesleyan and it really was because of interfaith as well. Um, my, my like Christianity faith journey was already um, on a bumpy ride just because of personal reasons. Um, but then coming here and seeing interfaith and I just kind of realized how um, that's kind of more of my philosophy of life in general, um, having diverse backgrounds and a lot of things that I do rather than just focusing on one um, religion. Um, and so the question of how it changed my worldview is I realized that I don't have to fit, like, I don't have to fit in a box. Um, and it's still a struggle today. Sometimes I feel like I do need a label, um, in all aspects of my life. But, um, one thing Illinois Wesleyan has taught me is that it's okay to just be in the, I don't know, and searching phase. Yeah, that's great. And it's definitely not to plug interfaith a ton, but that's definitely what we try to preach is that everybody's welcome, no matter where you're at in your journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. So instead of just hearing from Wa and I, we have invited Elise Nelson-Winger and Monica Corsaro to talk about their roles as university chaplains and to discuss how worldviews are shaped on college campuses. All right, so we have two very special guests with us today. Um, so if you both would like to introduce yourselves, your name, just general introduction and worldview. Good morning, my name is Reverend Elise Nelson-Winger. I am the Associate Dean of Students and Chaplain here at Illinois Wesleyan University. I've been here for nine years um, and I am a multi-faith person, but I am rooted in the Lutheran Christian tradition. I'm uh, Reverend Dr. Monica Gorsaro, and uh, I am a Christian by upbringing and am ordained in the United Methodist Church, uh, but definitely multi-faith or interfaith in, in my worldview. Um, I, think, I think the divine has a great sense of humor, and it's uh, a matter for us to, to live into it. Wonderful. We're so glad you both are with us. Um, so the Office of Multi-Faith Engagement has gone through some changes recently. Um, Elise, would you like to talk a little bit about that and what is next for you? Yes. So last year, uh, we created the Office of Multi-Faith Engagement um, because of my move to the Associate Dean's role in the Dean of Students Office, where I still retained my role as chaplain, but we were able to hire a coordinator of multi-faith engagement, and we had a wonderful coordinator, Stuart Hirayama, for one year. Um, and then um, I have had a new opportunity to go to Tufts University to be the university chaplain there. And while I'm very excited about that, it is a bittersweet time because Illinois Wesleyan is such a beloved place to me. So we're in an interim period reimagining the office um, and the office leadership, and I'm delighted that Monica is here as our interim chaplain for this year. So she will carry on the leadership of the office programming and ceremonial leadership of the university um, and spiritual care and so many other things. So I think the big question is now, what is next for OME? Could you both talk about how this new chapter for OME could possibly look like? Yes, let's. Um, one, in, in this 
work that I've been doing um, for years and because I want to, um, I think we're realizing that um, religious, being religious, choosing to practice um, is, is an identity. It is part of our intersectionality that makes us who we are. And even if we don't practice the religion we were brought up in, um, especially when we're, uh, well, we don't even have to be talking about our international friends. We can talk, be talking about ourselves. I know Elise and I could talk about traditions that we grew up with that were because of our faith. And so being, being culturally competent and understanding that, that, that culture and religion and identity are, are what make us who we are. And so I plan for the Office of Multi-Faith Engagement to engage, 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 and to uh, be able, and I love the term ambassadors. I love that, that we are ambassadors because we are, right? We're having to ambassador to our campuses so then we're prepared to ambassador out into the world because if, um, if you take a history class, most most conflicts are caused by um, not even I, in some cases religious. Um, what's the word I want? Well, no integrity, no integrity. Using religion, using religion to be territorial, or using religion to use your power. And if we aren't competent and know that then how can we keep the world a safer place and in a more loving place so so i plan for us to engage 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 um keep doing what we're doing really well and then look for other places maybe there's nooks and crannies we haven't reached out to yet that that need need us so uh good thing i'm high energy because oh, there's a, there's already a lot that we're doing <laughs> Well, I think it's yeah. clear that the office, um, while it's a new office, we've been the chapel for mm -hmm. decades and decades, um, and that the office is an integral part of the campus life and of student affairs. And so I have, and Monica will, work closely with um, the leaders from student involvement, both faculty, staff, and students, student involvement, diversity and inclusion, the career center. I mean, there's just so many opportunities to keep what Monica's saying in terms of exploration and engagement alive. And so that's my hope, is that this office will continue to be vibrant and purposeful and keep making an impact. I think it will because of students like you, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes I forget that the Office of Multi-Faith Engagement has just been alive for a year because it feels like, I guess to me it always felt like it was an office, even mm -hmm. though it wasn't like with the label and stuff. But. It was the office of the university chaplain. <laughs> yeah. And after yeah. a while, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, who's that old white guy? Where's, where's that old white guy? Oh. Oh, oh, yeah, did I say that? Uh, yes. yes, I did. But you know, on that note, um, I, I told Elise this and I've told others, uh, I, I grew up um, two hours from here near the Quad Cities as a, as a Methodist. And everybody knew Illinois Wesleyan, right? Like that's the school you wanted to go to. That's the... Um, uh, and then as a Methodist who was looking into going into ministry, I met a lot of ministers that had gone here for undergrad. And so I'm really looking forward. I'm a Northwest Methodist because um, that's my, my credentials are in Washington State and I kind of became a hippy-dippy Methodist. But, but I love that I have these relationships with people that knew me growing up and how we can reach out and honor our tradition and history but in this new way 
uh, in the way of the world. We are a multi-faith world. We are no longer uh, just Lutherans and Methodists and Episcopalians. I mean, that's just one little corner of one little spot. We're Hindu, we're Buddhist, we're Muslim, we're Jewish. And in all those, there's different ways of practicing. So I love how we're taking, um, and, and Wesley was very universal in his thinking, the founder of Methodism. So I love how we're taking his, his the past and the learnings of what it means to be Wesleyan, which just really means having an open heart, open mind, and, and having open doors to, to the world and to still engage. So it's gonna be fun engaging with um, those that knew me growing up and to show them what has become of the chapel and and it still is a chapel and I think that honors them and then but look at all that goes on here all right so it's the start of my senior year but for a lot of people on campus obviously it's the start of their very first year um, I remember my turning Titan week and seeing Elise speak at like the convocation and at different events and at the time I really had no idea what being a chaplain even meant I thought like it's synonymous with being a preacher or a pastor so could you guys explain to us just the role of a chaplain and like are chaplains affiliated with a particular religion? Is it different for each university? How does that look? To me, a, a chaplain's role is supporting the spiritual and religious um, and worldview explorations of a community. And so um, a chaplain may be rooted and, and really should be rooted in a particular tradition and understand those beliefs and practices and questions so that um, they can better support those, those kinds of questions and practices and beliefs of others. And um, so when I think about being a chaplain at a university, um, there are many ways to do that. There are some universities that are deeply rooted in being a particular kind of Christian or, um, and, and that's their role is to, to be a church for the campus. But when I came here, it was very clear that that was not the vision, and that wasn't the vision I had either. I wanted to create spaces for people to be able to explore their beliefs and their practices, but to do it as you, to, you know, used the Wesley imagery, to do it with open doors, minds, and hearts, um, so that people could find their own way um, along the way. Um, ditto to what um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Elise said, but also, uh, the interesting thing uh, with the secularizing of our world or the interfaithing of our world, sometimes people never heard the word chaplain. I love how you said that. So I was having dinner with a friend telling him I was moving here and I was gonna be the chaplain. And he's like, what is a chaplain? What's, or what's the root word? So we looked up the root word and it's cloak. And I think what I um, like to remember about chaplain and, um, and why I, um, believe that's the name we do need to be using on campuses is because there is we can't forget the care and compassion component oh, how about that for alliteration that's the preacher <laughs> <laughs> so um, that it um, I, I don't think director does it enough because I don't think we like to make sure this is going here this is going here that's going there. that's directing right that's like directing traffic we we can do that, but then we do more. When we're, we're the ones that you go to when there's a crisis. And we're all in a crisis, so. <laughs> no, but, um, so uh, I, I don't want us to forget that. And, and yes, the word chaplain has gotten broader, 
We now have Muslim uh, chaplains on campus. We have Jewish chaplains. It's an understanding of with um, rigorous uh, training and education, we, we both have a lot of school and student loans um, that got us here. But, um, and so to take that seriously, but that it is broad and, and, um, and there's humanist chaplains too. It's not to say if someone doesn't believe in the divine, they can't care. So, so that's a really good point. And a small university like ours rarely has more than one chaplain, even though there might be community partnerships. Larger schools do have mm -hmm. teams of chaplains. Mm -hmm. But even so, what I've observed is that even if that chaplain is primarily working with one particular faith tradition or community, they're still trained to meet people where they're at mm -hmm. across worldviews, mm -hmm. and they embrace that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I think is wonderful and unique about chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. You'll also find chaplains in hospitals, in the military, in prisons, prisons. Um, in, in Congress. Yes. That would be yes. good, wouldn't it? Yeah. More and more. A more. strong more. chaplain in, in the Congress. If they go visit the chaplain at Congress. <laughs> oh! Okay, so um, and, and more and more uh, young people and mm -hmm. people at different stages of life are choosing to go into chaplaincy from very very diverse backgrounds. It's not just a, a Christian thing. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, and, and I think that's an, exci it's an exciting profession that you should too consider <laughs> down the line. <laughs> yeah, and I like that you brought up, like there aren't just chaplains at universities. They're mm -mm. in many different places across the world. So do you guys, I don't know how much experience you have with any of that, but do chaplains do different things if they're not at a university, or does the role pretty much look the same? When I was um, part of my ordination process, and maybe yours too, Monica, was spending a summer in what's called clinical pastoral education, CPE. So you work in a health um, setting, generally a hospital, but I worked in the south, on the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park at Montgomery Place, which was a retirement home, as well as assisted living and memory care um, community. And what was different about my role there was it was much more sacramental mm -hmm. in that I was leading um, morning prayer services and more liturgical. I, was, um, I wasn't ordained yet, so I couldn't share communion uh, myself, but I, you know, offering opportunities for people to have communion, um, if they were Catholic, coordinating with, you know, uh, making sure the Catholic chaplain was offering last rites and other kinds of um, uh, liturgical opportunities. So I've done less of that here. Um, and, you're, and you're much more present to those liminal spaces between life and death when you're in a healthcare setting. It's crisis, but it's also very powerful. So you're tending to the moment and really paying attention to the human spirit and body and, and the immediate community right around you in a different way? Um, what a great question. I think it's exactly to what Elise said. It's to the, it's to the constituency that you're serving. And I um, have done the hospital stuff. Um, uh, I worked for Planned Parenthood, actually. I worked with our medical school at the University of Washington. Um, how we could educate people to do care, especially in the international um, way of living. Um, there, there are different rights when a Buddhist dies in your hospital than when a Christian dies, and, and helping providers know that and, and to be better trainers and to sort of train the chaplains. 
But the thing that uh, my heart is nudging me on right now is police chaplaincy and um, first responders chaplaincy, especially in the era where we want to defund the police. I, my hope is we do have more social workers and we have more chaplains that are going and, and helping and de-escalate and training um, whatever our, our police forces look at. Elise and I were in a meeting yesterday of possibly having a chance to get to um, work with people who are training to join the police force and we're gonna need to change that term force, aren't we? Like, and so uh, I am a pacifist. I try to live a pacifist lifestyle. It's hard when I'm fighting for a, a, a parking space in the grocery store, <laughs> but I still try to peace, peace, peace. Mm -hmm. but, um, but just imagine if you have chaplains, pacifist chaplains, doing an educational piece for people who are training to be in the police force. So do you, like, we also hopefully are the ones in our chaplaining positions, we're the ones that are gonna think a little bit differently on how to solve conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, on the campus setting, it might be thinking through an ethical question. Uh, in in the, that, that's, in the first responder setting, it's what's, what's an alternative response to a gun? Mm -hmm. yeah. So th those kind of things on my heart. Let, we'll start an initiative, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's a great. I don't. I what you just said. I feel like that's a great way to think about it. Um, but from what I'm hearing, what you both said is that chaplains are just amazing human beings. But personally, I feel like a college campus is like the perfect place to explore and engage in developing um, myself and whoever. Um, we always talk about how there are so many things are happening on campus and there's just so many things going on. But really the words, um, the word things can be replaced with the word passion for me. Um, on a college campus, you can see the many passions students have and grow in. Um, so how do you think um, college impacts a student's worldview or religious and spiritual journey? So kind of like the segues. <laughs> um, I love I love that question, and uh, I will never forget this. My first year um, down the road at Illinois State University. Yes, there's a school down the road. If you haven't heard, and um, and uh, I remember um, the question. It just changed oh so slightly from uh, growing up. The question went from where do you go to church, right? I grew up in a very Christian-y town where there was a church, there were 18 churches in the town of 6,000. So that's the question you got there. Where do you go to church? You come here your first year at university and you get the question, what do you believe? Whoa, right? <laughs> and I think that's why the Lisas and the Monicas and so many others um, of the world need to exist because you need to have a place to come open that door right over there come into this office or into the space and let's all figure out together what do we believe mm -hmm. and why and if someone believes different than me i'm not here to change them i'm here to understand them and maybe grow in my own faith that's what i've discovered doing interfaith work not that anyone's trying to change anybody or convert anybody but to have a better understanding of their core and how we relate together. 
Yeah, I, one of the things I love about being on a college campus is that, to me, there's immediate freedom. Mm, mm -hmm. um, there's, I mean, coming to college, and it's been a long time, mm -hmm. but I still remember that this feeling like, oh, I have a fresh start. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be who I quote was in high school. You're not someone's daughter anymore, yeah. right? You're, you're well, I still wanted to be a daughter, but I wanted to be Elise in a totally different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew that I could do that because that that my college, like Illinois Wesleyan, was committed to helping me discover that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want for and hope for students is that that we again, as I said before, we meet people where they're at. I have met students through the years who are absolutely committed um, and, and devoutly practice the tradition that they were born into. It's really important to them. The first thing they want to do is find a mosque or a church in the community so that they can continue very similar practices that they have, have had growing up. Wonderful. I want to be a part of making sure they feel connected. I've met many students who come and say, you know, I've, I always went to the church with my parents, but I don't know what I think about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I kind of like to figure that out. And some find a home in a student-led RSO, registered organization, and others have found their way into the chapel, into different programs that we've done through the years. And I love the fact that our interfaith group seems to have been a place, seems to be a place where students are doing a lot of that exploring, mm -hmm. that they might identify as Christian or spiritual or searching or atheist, um, but it's an open identification um, because they're wanting to learn more about others and themselves. Um, and there are students for, on a college, many students on a college campus too for whom these questions of belief and belonging to a community and spirituality just aren't salient. It's just not questions that they're asking. And they get to not ask as well. Mm -hmm. And we get and must mm -hmm. get to and must respect that. Mm -hmm. um, because that's a really important understanding to have too. And I think that's where I've grown so much is mm -hmm. recognizing and respecting that there are a lot of students who, who are not, just don't want and maybe never will. Yeah, and you brought up for a second your own undergrad experience, Elise, and I know you said it was a long time ago for you, but I'm sure you guys <laughs> remember it well enough. Um, so my next question for you is, when you were in undergrad, what was your experience with developing your own worldview and your religious practices? And was there anything that you wished was different about that experience? I was very interested. I was attuned to what was happening at the chapel. Um, on our campus, and I remember getting a flyer from the Lutheran Episcopal Ministry um, at Wellesley College, where mm. I went to undergrad. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. I wasn't interested in that. I'm sure they were wonderful people. Mm -hmm. But I had my own church at home. I liked my Lutheran church in Iowa City, Iowa. Um, but I was really interested in this little women's group. It's a women's college, so it was all women um, identifying people um, that would meet some, I don't know, a Sunday night or something to do this feminist worship circle. And I was enthralled by that opportunity <laughs> and loved getting to know the chaplain there my first year. But for me, really, um, beyond that, it was the intellectual discovery of taking a course on women in Christianity and then the Gospels. And so intellectual exploration 
was a key part to my college experience. And I love when I talk to students here about the courses in religion and beyond that are just breaking open their understandings of what their beliefs are and what religion, broadly speaking, is about and not about. Because that's one of the reasons why I felt called to ministry, was because of that intellectual engagement and richness. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So when were they, when did the Lutheran Church start ordaining women? Uh, 1970? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think you're, and then the Methodist Church um, or started ordaining women in 1956. And for both our denominations, it was a fight. Mm -hmm. And and people had to break the rules. And 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 here we are in both our denominations. We're, we're still having to do rule-breaking for full inclusion. Yay. So 1956 seems like a long time ago, except in movements, right? So I went to a Christian group on campus that was a lot more conservative than my Methodist upbringing. And I heard things that, like, women aren't supposed to be leaders. Women women um, share. They don't teach or they don't preach. Like, there was all this the, this interesting language that, that this particular group used. Like, oh, we want you to come and we want you to fit into a certain way. And... Um, it also felt like it was sort of a dating game, a heterosexual dating game, and I, I don't know, it was it was very. So thank goodness I had I had my Methodist campus since I went to a state school. We didn't have chaplain, but different denominations had people there, and thank goodness that group and that minister were able to. It's I kind of was doing the same thing you were doing, but I ended up getting this little hiccup, which I was so glad to have, because I I I need to learn that not all. Christianities are the same and come and come to the same conclusion about the same scriptures. So being able again to have that room for intellectual development as well as spiritual development and to ask the hard questions and doing the identity questions. Um, I, 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 my, my campus minister, I, I, you know, I came to him and I just was like crying because I um, felt like my like maybe I'm not called, um, you know, as a woman. And he said, do you think God really doesn't want women to think? And I go, well, of course not. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you, there was a lot that was processing there. But just to be able to have somebody who was reflecting back to me and could, could see my pain but also understood my humor, that it and, – and so, again, I, I, same thing – Openness at which to be able to explore. Openness at which able to do, go at it intellectually. It is of heart and mind. We don't have to just do one or the other. Both are important, but together, that's where it's powerful. So um, I, I love that we got to sit around for like seven years, right? Four years undergrad, uh, three, four years um, grad to, to ponder these questions. And that's why, that's why I do it now. <laughs> so we, so we, we can sit around and ponder questions. You know. But, and meaning, right? And, and then where do we fit into the universe? Because that's really what I had my existential crisis, right? Where do I fit into the universe? Did you, did you say had? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm clear I now. I'm clear. <laughs> Wherever I walk, I'm, I, I'm there. No. <laughs> 
wherever I am the is life or whatever. Yeah, you're no, in undergrad, and then it just and then you just keep going. That's yeah. right. the question. Just get bigger with bigger words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like you guys both had amazing experiences in your undergrad. Really powerful changes happening in your lives. So thinking about that and thinking about students you've seen as you've worked with undergrad students. What are some ways that you've seen higher education impact positively someone's faith journey or spirituality? Oh, I've seen that happen in wonderful ways. I've seen it um, happen for a student who came out of a strong um, tradition, who just got stronger in it and mm. developed her sense of leadership and place um, and is, is now in working in um, campus ministry herself mm -hmm. um, and social justice work on a campus and who helped shape the multi-faith ambassador program um, um, in the early years. I've seen um, a student come who was um, seeking community, who had had some experience in a, in a church community but was really looking for a place to belong and be included and fully accepted. And I was so glad that our campus um, could be a part of that. And someone who's now preparing to be ordained um, as a minister because of those experiences of belonging. Um, I have seen nurses like um, Vaughn will be, <laughs> who've been a part of our program, who've been really impacted by the experiences on alternative breaks, um, going to Chicago or going to Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota mm. um, and thinking about the intersections of public health and community and spirituality and justice um, in, in such phenomenal ways because of the people they've been able to encounter on those trips and who still talk about it. I, I don't want to share their names without their permission, but these are real life people. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. And then one more, I have another student who is now practicing law, who just really under, became a campus leader and advocate and came to use his voice in, in such a powerful and, and inclusive way, mm -hmm. and that his faith led him to, into the work of, of law and justice mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and doing justice mm -hmm. um, for, for, for all, and particularly underserved communities. That, that's just a highlight of life to see these you know, young people take on, take on the world in those ways. Mm -hmm. I think our campuses or people on our campuses don't know the power of the campus. So um, uh, I came from Max College. Galesburg is a little bit smaller town than, than Bloomington Normal. And locally, people feel like, oh, who would want to come here and who would want in, in, to Galesburg? And I remind them, well, let me tell you about the international students here that find their voice that don't have it at home. They love it here. And uh, so one is a Pakistani woman who is like, they, they just love that they get picked on, picked on not in a bad way, but to be, you know, acknowledged in class to speak. And then, then they take classes on feminism and interne intersectionality of feminism and racism. And what does it mean to be... Uh, what's what's a global economy? What's and they find their voice. That was just because we welcomed them and said, "Yes, come be part of our campus." So that's one story. 
Another story are Hindu students that um, uh, I took to the temple in Peoria, and we, we met um, a student from University of Illinois, and there were 12 of us, me and uh, 12 Hindus from Nepal. And um, he, he just globbed on. He's like, wait, there's so many of you, and you have community, and you know, he just he felt like this lonely Canadian Nepalese at University of Illinois, which you know there's, there are uh, more than just one, but when you're at a small liberal arts campus like ours and like Knox, we you have a you have a chaplain or you have a you have a person who's going to make sure you do get together and you do have community uh, and and that's 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 setting the place at which to to grow you know and um, and uh, and then uh, another story about um, another um, Muslim woman found her voice and the, the beautiful thing is these folks are going some of them want to stay here in this country and lead and so now we're building further understanding um, of one another and together like you're a lawyer uh, I've got one that's going to be an ele a male Pakistani man who wants to be an elementary school teacher in central Illinois like if that's not going to build a bunch of bridges all all in one soccer afternoon at recess right <laughs> um, so I I think um, it's our setting and where we are. I love that we're in middle America and um, because what it does for folks that are from all over the place, it shows, oh my God, but here's the microcosm of the planet. And I think that's what higher ed does. Higher ed sets the canvas at which the creative can happen. Yeah, and I love that. And those are all wonderful stories. And I'm sure that you guys have so many more positive <laughs> stories that you could share. Um, but this one might be a little tougher to answer. Are there any negative ways that you've seen a higher education impact students in those journeys? Yeah, I think that I've, I've met students who've reflected back to me that they haven't really felt a, a sense of, of welcome or belonging based on their beliefs or interests um, and that's been really important for me to hear to be able to try to work on better to make sure that student I mean each tradition as, as you were referring to earlier I mean is a huge tent and um, we, we just need to make sure we're affirming people to explore their faith and practice their faith in ways that that may be very different or even sometimes in contrast to um, the norm. Um, so, you know, there, there, are, there are ways in which people don't feel, feel welcomed. I've also heard reflected back to me that there are certain experiences on campus or in classes where students haven't felt comfortable integrating their beliefs or faiths into the, the conversation. And I, I understand why that's difficult um, because we live in a really polarized country where often religion and theology are politicized mm -hmm. by religious people themselves mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. by others. And so students maybe have grown up, for example, in a context where talking about evolution and creationism is a hot topic and um, we don't know how to engage those issues more, more broadly. I mean, we have every right, and faculty have every right to say, this is the content of our course. This is what we are going to teach. 
Um, this is not going to be a place to debate necessarily um, scientific understandings of evolution and, and certain theological understandings. But there can be other places where, where we need to make sure that students can wrestle with their own questions, whatever they may be. Um, and I think that's ongoing, really important work. And that that, and as I've talked to, I've never talked to a faculty person personally who doesn't believe that or doesn't think that that's important. It's just a matter of how do we, how do we create that space mm -hmm. in the classroom and beyond to, um, to have those difficult conversations. And that's something that we think about a lot in interfaith. How do we have difficult conversations with one another? How can we help shape campus climate to allow for that to happen mm -hmm. outside of these walls as well? Mm -hmm. um, I, haven't, I've, I think this is my second day at Illinois Wesleyan, so I can't speak to Illinois Wesleyan, but I have been at other places of higher education where I feel like we, we teach people voice and, 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 and how to yell and how to protest and how to march. And we don't teach, you know, if, it, if, if the change that you want doesn't happen tomorrow, know that, that that's the way it is. <laughs> um, that it, it takes time. And how do we, nuance, nuance in movement work or in change. Um, I've just seen it other places, like let's rile everybody up, but, um, but no, like, no, 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 we're, we're probably gonna have to go out there again tomorrow, or we're gonna, it's not right, but it, it, it is. And I, I think sometimes we set, I have seen leaders set up students um, to, to end up getting disappointed. And um, again, can't say that about here, but, um, but so I take that very seriously. Like uh, I am a social justice activist I've, my whole life. So I know what it's like to, to be frustrated, but I also had teachers tell me, you're in it for the long haul. And um, so that that's one one part. And then, yeah, I think we have a, what do we have? We have a generation gap going on. We, we do have professors that need to get trained. They, just because what they were doing and the style they were doing, it worked 30 years ago. It does not work now. And there are microaggressions happening, I know, in the classroom and people don't even know it. I mean, the people that are causing it. So how do we, how do we, and I think causes harm, just like you were saying. And so how do we, how do we gently help train ourselves? Right. But we always, we are, this is a constant, it has to be a constant commitment. It is long haul work. At the same time, it can't and I know you would agree with this, like long, saying it takes a long time shouldn't be an excuse for not doing anything, yes. right? Yes. Because that's often used as a way to silence mm -hmm. activism yes. and the call for change. But we, we all need to do the shared work of making sure we're creating an actively inclusive community, and that includes worldview. Yes. And, and that's one of the things I've loved about Illinois Wesleyan is from the very beginning when I came onto campus, the chaplain was welcomed onto the University Council on Diversity. Mm. And it was seen that identities of all kinds, including religion and spirituality, mattered. Um, and that is not necessarily the case at other schools. It is not. I and I really want to commend mm -hmm. um, the leaders at LNA Wesleyan for, making, for, for understanding that, because it's made a big difference. Yeah, you kind of um, touched it, but kind of to end this bittersweet 
episode. <laughs> um, after dedicating your nine years, Elise, to it's nine. Is that that's correct, right? Yes. Well, yes. I'm starting my tenth. Yes. Starting and ending my tenth. <laughs> um, yeah. After dedicating all this time to Illinois Wesleyan, um, I guess has has this university impacted your faith? And in addition, what is the thing that you'll miss most Both. most about this place? I'll choose one thing that I'll miss most because it's <laughs> many things. Um, but to answer the first question, my faith has been so deepened and widened by the experiences I've had with students and um, and the community. Um, I have, I hope, become a more inclusive person in terms of my practices, but also in terms of my own beliefs. Um, I have, I've seen the pain of exclusion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way I hadn't experienced it before. That has made me, required me to look more deeply into my own tradition and, and not, and, and to look into the actual language of the liturgy and the prayer and the sacred texts that I never really truly understood had been used to wound and harm other people and to take that very seriously. And I mean that in terms of identity regarding gender identity and sexual orientation, but I also mean it in terms of the ways in which Christian language has used, been used to other um, people of other religious beliefs. So I'm so grateful. I'm not grateful for the, their pain at all, but their willingness to share that has helped me to grow so much. And I've learned so much. I mean, I, you, I, uh, Shruti, um, who's one of our uh, multi-faith ambassadors and the lead of Hindu Yuva, took us to the, her temple in Peoria last uh, fall for this wonderful celebration of Ganesh. And you know, that's just one of so many experiences of visiting faith communities in Chicago and throughout this community with students where I've learned so much and been able to observe and have what Krista Stendhal who's a theologian at, at Harvard, um, I think now retired, um, calls holy envy, where you have this mm -hmm. deep reverence for traditions that aren't your own, but that you know are so meaningful and beautiful and transformative. So the experiential part of being at Illinois Wesleyan and from alternative breaks, um, you know, painting a house, um, making meals together with students, um, those are the unforgettable experiences that I will never, never stop loving. <laughs> well, that is wonderful and we will miss you a lot, but we're also looking forward to spending some more time with you, Monica, and seeing how this year will go. Mm -hmm. um, but thank you both for thank joining you. us. This was a wonderful conversation. <laughs> It's great. I yes. hope we'll, we'll yes. continue to have those, Monica. Yes. As yes. We go on, yes. We'll get to see each other at our chaplain's conferences. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. Thank you so much, Haley and Wah. And that's a wrap to me and Haley's very first podcast recording. We'd like to thank Elise and Monica for coming on the show and having such a great discussion. You guys were amazing first guests, so thank you for bearing with us as we figured out how to do this whole podcast thing. We'd also like to thank the Office of Faulty Faith Engagement for the support, our listeners. And lastly, I want to thank Haley for being a wonderful co-host. I don't know about you, Haley, but I had a blast. 
Oh, I definitely did. And thank you for being a co-host with me. Uh, listen in next month, guys, where we'll talk about why religion is such a touchy subject. In the meantime, check out the Encounters blog, where we feature voices from all across campus. A new entry is uploaded every Monday. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.